You know, I'm gonna give you a history lesson. We got some dumbass motherfuckers floating around this country. <laughs> Stop laughing! And when I do, start fucking. Also, y'all did some nasty ass jokes on my ass too. Funny jokes and unfunny jokes come out of the same birth. You fucking guys are unbelievable. Why are you laughing? Evening, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Why You Laughing, a history of comedy podcast. And today, I am pleased to introduce you to the genius, the legend, the great Larry David, everybody. Yes. Uh, Finally, we are appreciating. We've talked about Seinfeld, uh, the show. We've talked about Seinfeld, the man. But now we're really appreciating the true brains behind the operation, uh, the great Larry David. And so this will be kind of a typical episode in the sense that uh, we're doing some autobiographical or autobiographical, some, some biographical stuff, but, uh, uh, it's more of a Larry David appreciation day, I would say overall, cause he's just, uh, one of my favorite guys ever. And, uh, one of the greats in comedy history. Um, so we will, uh, spend, you know, spend some time talking about that, appreciating LD. Uh, but first I do want to tell you guys, because the bonus episodes are up, uh, Joe Matarese, Part two, the porcelain tapes is up on Patreon exclusively. Now the only way you can get it is by being a member of the Patreon, become a gearhead. Uh, so any of the $5 tier or any above will get you access to all the, why are you laughing episodes? It'll get you these episodes a, a week early, as well as uh, any mini episodes or anything else that we do involving why are you laughing. So make sure you subscribe to that. If you'd be so kind, uh, or if you want to support the show for free, we appreciate that as well. Uh, Patreon. I mean, uh, <laughs> I'm messing up today. Um, my intro is usually very clean on why you laughing. I don't know what's happening today, but uh, Apple, Spotify, YouTube, you guys know what the deal is. Blindmike.net is where you can get all of those links. All right. I'm nervous. I'm giddy to talk about uh, Larry. We can't fuck this one up. I know. Yeah. That's why I'm, <laughs> I'm stammering all over myself. <laughs> He was smart uh, though because that whole um, that FTX thing, you know, uh, he was one of the endorsers of in the commercial and everything. Yeah, he's. I think he's avoiding getting sued because literally in the commercial he was saying like, "I don't like it." <laughs> the, I, I, don't, I never understand how they could even bring him into that lawsuit. The commercial is about how he doesn't get it. That's what I'm saying. I love it. <laughs> uh, yeah, but we'll talk about that too because I find it interesting that he's done things like that over the last. I'd say four or five years, probably. I do find that a little interesting. So we'll get into that as we go on as well. Uh, but we'll start, as we often do, in the early years of Larry David, because uh, one of the great contributors to Kirby Enthusiasm, Richard Lewis, knew him from a young age. And he was on uh, Howard, Ter- Howard, Howard Stern telling a story about that. So that is our first clip today with uh, Richard and Howard. Larry David's been a friend of yours for over, what did 50 I, 50 years. years. I met him when I was 12. You were at summer camp with Larry David. Hated him, never saw him again until I became a comic, became best friends. I, I was probably starting, I was probably a drunk already. Right. I stared at him, I went, there's something about you that's spooking the shit out of me. Right. And he, he got scared because he wasn't a drinker, he wasn't right. a druggie at all. Why did you hate him at 12? Because he was a fucking ed- prick. <laughs> he was a prick. Yeah, so was I. Why was he a prick? What did he do to you? He was a, a gangly, obnoxious fucking asshole like I was. <laughs> he used so to you punch know. me. I punched him. I used to beat him. We had fist fights. But when I became a comic, he loved my work and I loved his work. And then one day I got drunk at two in the morning here in New York. Right. 
And I and something about him scared the shit out of me. And, and we retraced our childhood. I went, I went to this fucking camp when I was 12. I said, I went to camp. And which camp was that? Camp All America. I went, I went to camp. You're that fucking asshole? <laughs> we came to blows at the bar. You, you beat him up. Well, we, we grabbed each other by our sweaters. <laughs> it's so fun. And that, it's the great thing about uh, Curb is that they kept that relationship, that type of relationship yeah. in there. Yeah. And it's the funny, I like... With Richard Lewis, it's surprising also, but you can see it a little more because he was a drunk. He's a more morose guy. But with Larry, the idea of him getting into fights is <laughs> hilarious to me for some reason. The two of it's them. Hilarious. In Curb, they would always come to blows. <clears throat> yeah, no, that's great. Uh, so, yeah, Larry grew up, I think, in the same area of Brooklyn as Dice, Sheep's Head Bay. Yes. And uh, probably around the same time. So you had two hilarious cats coming out of out of Brooklyn at that time. Very, it couldn't be more different, I don't think. But uh, yeah, so Larry um, also at a, not a young age, when he was an adult, um, served in the military, which I didn't realize. Larry David did? <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of shit about Larry. Like you wouldn't really expect Larry to be kind of the well-rounded guy that he is based on the you know, curmudgeon persona that he puts out there. I had no idea about that. <laughs> yeah, very, I was surprised as well. Um, but uh, another, just one more thing about his, you know, sort of early lineage. I think that's our next clip, right? His uh, discovery about his ancestry. I just looked up um, his military background real quick. Yeah. Uh, he he faked a mental health episode to leave the army one year early. Okay, all right, that sounds more like. It. I'm sorry, I didn't find that. Yeah, that may, now it's making sense. <laughs> that's hilarious. I, that's my uh, one of my favorite things about doing this show is finding stories like that. Like, yeah. uh, I think we talked about Lenny Bruce pretended to be gay. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think Chevy Chase, same thing. I think pretended to be gay. <laughs> it's hilarious to hear these guys just faking things to get out of the military. That is a perfect one for Larry David, though. That's a Curb episode, honestly. No he shit. Was a younger man. <laughs> he, even he was probably like, no one will buy this one. <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, this is, uh, our next clip is an example. I had never seen this before, um, but it's an example. Do you ever see the clip? We've probably talked about it before. Uh, Do you ever see Ben Affleck finding out? It's probably the same show, I'm guessing. Um, finding out that his ancestors were slave owners. Yes. And it's uh, <laughs> what Ben Affleck did is make them edit that out of that show. Say like, we're not airing the part where you, and he flipped out on the staff and then they, so they refilm it and they air a segment where they're telling him about a different part of his family that did good deeds or something. And he's like, Oh wow. Wow. That's so great. That's really interesting. <laughs> and it's so funny to flip out about that. Cause it's like, it's something that happened, you know, hundreds of years ago, you have nothing to do with it. This is an example, an example of how a human being should handle that news properly. I think. This is just such an odd combination on my father's side of the, of the Germany and, and the South. Yeah. Two places that we have fought against as a country. Yeah. Right. Oh my goodness. I hope no slaves show up on this. Please turn the page. <laughs> now, Larry, this is another part of the 18th. Oh, oh, you did it! You did it! <laughs> I know it! I know it! 
Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Boy. That's b- unbelievable. Oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> Name of the slave owner, Henry Bernstein. <laughs> My great-grandfather was a slave owner. Slaves, one female, age four, mulatto. One female, age 17, mulatto. <laughs> oh. Oh, <laughs> Professor, I'm I, I'm so sorry. Your friends are hilarious. You can see why my father didn't want to tell me anything about his family. <laughs> oh my god, that's not even that far removed from him. <laughs> it's really not if you think about it. His dad's dad. But it's like, listen. Oh no, his no, great grandfather. His great grandfather. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. So, so I just find that funny. And that I think perfectly sums up Larry is like, he's a totally liberal guy. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah. he doesn't take himself that seriously. He's not worried about people looking at his reaction there and being like, Oh, is Larry a racist? Yeah. No, because they, I mean, even, even if that was Sean Hannity, it's like, that's not you. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> and that's why you kind of look crooked at a guy like Ben Affleck. Cause it's like, well, what are you afraid of? You know? Didn't you know what you're getting into coming onto this show? Yeah, right. What did you think was going to happen? If you're a white from this country, what did you think was going to happen? <laughs> I'm, I, I'm, yeah, a, I'm Italian uh, and Irish, so I think we're safe. Yeah, we're all right. We were, you know, we were enslaved as well. Yeah. As they <laughs> uh, but yeah, Larry um, then, of course, gets into stand up. The way he talks about his career is very interesting. Because it's almost like now when you look at a guy who's worth a billion dollars, yeah. it's like, stop it, Larry. Stop being so self-deprecating. Come on. But it's like, I guess that's true of everyone, more or less, that started out in show business is like, you're doing it as a job. You're doing it to try and get by for a long period of time. So anytime you hear Larry talking about his early days, it's like, he never, I think Jerry saw himself as potentially being a great comedian someday. At least he has that kind of way about him. Mm-hmm. Larry, at least in every interview he does, does not seem like he felt that way about his career. The only person that seems to hate his stand-up was him. Yeah, everyone loved it. And I mean, people said it was like weird and bizarre and we'll play a little bit of it and get into it. But um, he does seem like he was a good stand-up. Now, it's almost a good thing that he wasn't a successful stand-up. Right, because then because it caused him to be, in my opinion, the greatest comedy writer in television history. Easily, so so thank God it didn't really work out. But it does make you wonder, like, if he stayed in stand up, how good would he have been? And he has clear influences in stand up. Like, we'll watch uh, some of his clips in a bit, and just keep if if you know Joe List at all, keep Joe List in mind. Where it's like even his some of his kind of mannerisms and the, his cadence, mm-hmm. you're like, wow, that's a direct descendant of Larry, of a guy who grew up on Seinfeld and kind of, you know, learning those tones and everything. Right. Um, but Larry is uh, often talked about his uh, early jobs as well, and he's inserted a lot of them into uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm and Seinfeld episodes. Uh, so I believe that's our next clip, right? Him talking to Letterman. Yep about uh, some of his earlier work before he got into comedy. Uh, And then like everybody else, uh, when you're younger, worked odd jobs, I guess, right? Yeah, I had a lot of odd jobs. I was a a bra salesman for a while. I'm sorry, a bra salesman? A bra, yes, I sold bras. Wow. Yeah. Um, We actually did that on the Seinfeld Show. My my first day at work, I was given a bag full of bras Mm -hmm. and told to take them home and study them. (laughs) 
<laughs> and so I was on the subway with, with bras like overflowing from the top of the bag. And I studied them, I found it quite fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> I was also a private chauffeur. Really, now that I find, well I find both of them difficult to believe, but that one really somehow a chauffeur. Yes, a private chauffeur. I worked for an old woman, Mrs. Tishman. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> she was uh, half blind, oh. couldn't see very well, yeah. to say the least, and uh, she was very concerned about the cleanliness of the car, which of course was filthy because she couldn't see. <laughs> you, could, you could write your name on that windshield, you know. She kept saying, is the car clean? Yeah, yeah, it's spotless, look at that. You got, you got your suit on, you got your suit on. I had like an army jacket, you know. Yeah, yeah I got the jacket on, I got the suit on, I'm, I'm good, yeah. I think a really funny thing there that I noticed too, well, two things. Have you ever noticed he always refers to Seinfeld as the Seinfeld show? He always goes, we did this on the Seinfeld show. I don't know why that is. It's, it strikes me as Probably a little odd. because he's friends with Jerry. Like, so if he says Seinfeld, he just yeah, assumes Yeah, I'm not talking the, about the man. I yeah. guess maybe that's why, yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a thing there where, like, Letterman says, like, I find both of these hard to believe that you did that. And it's, such, it's a minor thing, but it's very interesting for someone to kind of a, be, be so observant of what other people see in them. Like, Larry writes that into... His show, like he talks about being a limo driver in Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yeah. And the people are like, oh, bullshit. <laughs> like they don't believe it. <laughs> and so just little things like that. Like, I think he's one of the most perceptive people of himself. And to be a guy like that who understands his flaws, but also understands what makes them funny is a pretty rare gift and that, this is different than like a lot of people are self-deprecating and a lot of people hate themselves and things like that but i'm just talking about noticing how other people perceive you and being able to turn that into comedy i think is uh somewhat rare that's that's the whole charm of curb <laughs> it's curb and seinfeld yeah and a lot of people talk about curb and seinfeld being kind of the same show which there are clearly a lot of similarities, but I do think it is much different in the sense of like it, the curb is solely focused on Larry. I mean, of course it also is much more vulgar and they're able to be dirtier and things like that. Yeah. But I do think the perspective of Larry or George Costanza is different than the other three characters on Seinfeld, you know, definitely for sure. hundred percent. Uh, and I mean, the, so our next story is one that if you're a Seinfeld fan, you've probably heard 10 million times, but I just think it's a great story. So I wanted to include it. Uh, he also worked at SNL. He did a, he was not, he worked on a show called Fridays, which was like, it's weird. Cause they tried to be a competitor to SNL, but they were on a different night of the week. We want to take uh, you down, but first we're going to establish ourselves yeah, on we're, Friday. We're a little scared. So we're not going to go <laughs> directly <laughs> against you. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was him and uh, Michael. There was a funny sketch. It was too long. Like it didn't make sense to play on audio. Yeah. But it was Larry as like a, a play by play guy. And it, uh, him and some woman were like a play by play team for a couple about to have sex. <laughs> <laughs> like, like it seemed like there was some funny stuff on there. Um, but yeah, he worked for SNL for a brief time. And this is him uh, talking a little more to Letterman about that. You got a writing job, a TV writing job, writing on the Saturday Night Live. I did. I wrote for Saturday Night Live, and um, I got um, the, I got one sketch on the entire year, 
after, after six weeks, they cut another sketch, and I decided, that's it. Mm -hmm. they, they're fooling with the wrong guy. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you show who, them. Who, who do they think they're messing with? <laughs> I walked up to the uh, producer. It was uh, like five minutes before the show was about to begin. I walked up and I said, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. I've had it. Take your show. Shove it. You know, I walked home and I, as, as I'm walking home, I'm starting to compute the amount of money I had just cost myself. Yeah. <laughs> and then I went to my neighbor, who was Kenny Kramer, the character that the, uh, right. in the show was based on. And he said to me, well, why don't you just go back on Monday and pretend it never happened? <laughs> <laughs> I thought, hey, you know, I, I think you got something there. <laughs> so I walked in on Monday, and, uh, you know, all the writers had seen me screaming at the producer. <laughs> and they were looking at me going, what, what the hell are you doing here? Yeah. But it worked. Yeah. <laughs> you finished, finished out the season. Out the That's season. good. <laughs> and then, of course, uh, the episode of Seinfeld where George tries to slip his boss a Mickey. <laughs> yeah. There are a lot of things. Seinfeld was very of the time. There's a lot of terms like that. That like hold up in the sense that you know what they mean, but like no one would say that hey, Bill Cosby was passing girls Mickey's, you know? Yeah, right. Not 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 nowadays. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the all time amazing stories, and it's also weird that he didn't fit in there because Larry is a pretty, you know, cerebral and observational guy. Um, I think he was there before he was there at the same time as Julia Louis Dreyfus, so I think that was before guys like. Uh, Conan started there, yep, and like Robert Smigel. Um, but I think with that crew, he would have fit in very well. It's so funny, too, that that story is the way it is. It's such a hilarious story, and it happened to be at Saturday Night Live, not like Trader Joe's or something, you know? Yeah, right. It wasn't, it's yeah, yeah, right. It wasn't a, just a sales office, or yeah. Something. Um, but uh, and we talked about this in the Seinfeld episode, but it's interesting that. George and Jerry were both supposed to be stand-ups because it, mainly because I think it was based on Jerry and Larry and the uh, the premise of Seinfeld is like where a comedian gets his jokes so they both would have been stand-ups and then they didn't do it because they wanted to put George in like office type scenarios yeah I think that worked out overall for the better it would have been more like a I don't know, like a Louie inside stand-up kind of a show if they were both stand-ups, you know? Yeah, if anything, they would have had to do, like, he's so bad at it, he had to keep a day job or something. <laughs> right, yeah, something like that. And then it, it just makes the idea of them pitching the pilot funnier, that he's not a writer at all, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, but anyways. All right, what are we going to now? Uh, Louie telling his story. Yeah, so we mentioned uh, Larry's stand-up. And I, so, you know, again, another story you've heard 10 million times, if you know, Larry David is uh, the legend of him walking on stage, taking one look at the crowd and going, eh, I don't think so. <laughs> and walking off. Uh, but Louie tells a much more in-depth version. Cause I was always like, ah, I don't know. That might be revisionist history or something. Uh, and then Louie gives a little more detail to it to where I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I get this. Yeah, <laughs> now, it was. A, a, now finally, I, I really believe this now. What, what the rumor was like a slight exaggeration. Uh, not even the rumor makes him less crazy. Actually, this is this, this to me makes him more of a maniac, which I find hilarious. I opened for Larry David years ago when he, really? when he was a stand-up. What, what was his stand-up like? 
<clears throat> brilliant and impossible to, I, I was the MC actually. <laughs> okay. And a guy named Bob Shaw was a headliner. He was a great comic. And uh, Larry was the feature act. It was in Cambridge, Massachusetts at the, the uh, Catch Rising Star. And uh, so they told me, you have to watch this guy's whole set because he blows up and leaves a lot. He walks off stage a lot. He won't do, a lot of times he won't finish his set because he gets angry. So they said, you, you have to stay in the room and be ready to jump on. And oh, what? not for joy. Well, no, no, for to save yeah, it's just hilarious. And this is another thing where it's like it's such a fine line between making it and people knowing the genius that's inside your mind as they do now with Larry David mm-hmm. and just being like a prick. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like the yeah. idea that Larry would walk into clubs and people would be like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> we got the flight risk. Oh, this miserable ad guy. Be ready to go on stage. He's going <laughs> to yell at everyone and walk off. I think it's way funnier. The fact that he goes on for five minutes and goes, fuck you and leaves rather than going like, nah. Yeah. I just think it's, it's just so funny to realize like, oh, that guy one day could become the, <laughs> the miserable asshole. Maybe has brilliance inside him. You don't really <laughs> think of that. So they said you, you have to stay in the room and be ready to jump on. And oh, what? not for joy. No, no, for, to save yeah, the show. Casey just leaves oh, early. I thought no, it was like, a, like you got to see yeah, this. Yeah, They're yeah. saying we need you to be standby. Yeah. Okay. And I didn't know anything about him. I never heard of him. And he, I, he instantly became my favorite comedian. The audiences didn't know what to do with him, <laughs> but he had these great bits. Like um, he says, I could, I'm, if if I was complimented by Joseph Mengele. I would have liked him. Like if he gave me a compliment. Anybody, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he does this thing of, Larry David, your hair looks good today. Like, oh, really, Dr. Michael? Thank you, Dr. Michael. Thank you, Michael. He's not a bad guy. <laughs> and um, that's the thing about anti-Semitism at country clubs. Okay. And he says that where he's experienced it was that sometimes when you're putting, they'll say stuff to put you off. The guy's like, Hey, Larry, how about the 6 million? That's a pretty excessive. No, go ahead. Put, 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 you know, just weird <laughs> stories. Very funny. Some of them that became episodes. Oh, really? He did a story, a story on stage about leaving a message for a woman that was so embarrassing on her answering machine that he had to break into a, her apartment and steal, <laughs> and steal the tape. That was a bit of his. It's an episode of Seinfeld. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, he was, but he, he would get really angry. Like, some yeah. guy would be quietly ordering a beer. Like, really, people were very polite. And he'd go, how can you be so rude? What kind of person are you? And he'd just start screaming at them. And he'd throw money at people. Take your money back and leave, you fucking animals. And he, was, he just gets so angry. And after a few shows, one night, uh, he really bombed. And the crowd was great. They were like the best crowd we'd ever seen. That's his problem. And after the show, he said, uh, he said, what'd you think of that crowd? They were awful, weren't they? Were they awful? They were rude and just noisy and bad. And it, it wasn't true. But I said, yeah, yeah, guys, just being polite. He goes, well, why didn't you do something about it? You're the host. You're supposed to. No, 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 control the room. Yeah, it was a nightmare. Have you talked about him uh, to him about that since? Yeah, I I auditioned for the show once. Okay. And, and he said, I remember you. I remember Catch Rise. I remember we worked together. I didn't recount to him right. how impossible he was. <laughs> <laughs> I just said, yeah, yeah, because I was trying to get a job. <laughs> And so that's, that finally made me fully believe. I was always like, eh, he was, he probably got annoyed by the, uh, but the idea of him walking out on stage and then immediately walking off, I was always like, I wonder if that's actually true. And then when I heard someone put the perspective on it of him 
not realizing that he was being the difficult one. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I was like. Oh, that's very real. That sounds like a man who dealt with that, you know? Right. (laughs) But also what makes Larry great? Like the idea of him getting frustrated, you know, wanting to get some ridiculous joke about Joseph Mengele out and being mad at the audience for not understanding it. That's such a it's, funny joke. It's great because they never said, Hey, like, you know, a lot, I mean, it's honestly the death of sitcoms is over explaining to the audience. Whereas the brilliance of Seinfeld was the people that'll get it. will get it. Right. You know, and they were funny enough and, and uh, smart enough that not 75 million people were able to get it, you know? Um, but uh, yeah. Is the next clip about a stand up as well? Uh, no, it's about Carson. Okay. We do have a uh, stand up in a bit, yep. but this was uh, funny to hear his, it's a very Larry perspective on Carson Yeah, because as we talked about it a million times, it was every comics dream uh, to get on Carson and this is Larry talking about dealing with that sort of thing in the you know, in the eighties. You started doing stand up. When you did you become? How successful did you become as a stand up? Oh, did you wildly successful? Did you did you make it onto like late night? Did you do that sort of circuit of doing the, you know making it onto late night shows and things like that? I, uh, no, not even close. Oh really? <laughs> I had. Oh, it was terrible. I had no act. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't very good. I really wasn't very good. I, you know, the, com- the other comedians seem to like me and the, the waitresses like me. The audiences couldn't stand me. Right. You know, yeah. uh, um, Pause one second. No, but. Uh, and that's what Larry, and maybe on some level he does get it, but like you heard Louis talking about how brilliant he was. And you hear Larry there saying, like, the comedians liked me. And, you know, the waitresses who were hearing comedy every night, they found me funny. So that's what a lot of people said about David Tell for a long time and Colin Quinn. Right. You know, like Larry doesn't realize that if he just stuck around, he probably at the very least would have been considered, you know, like a comics comic type of guy. Yeah. He even says it too about the audience. He's like, yeah, they didn't like me. Like he still doesn't believe it, but enough people told him (laughs) he's like, yeah, I guess (laughs) it's hilarious to have like the greatest sitcom of all time and still be like, yeah, the audience didn't get me. (laughs) A talk show. No, never one night I went on uh, at the improv and, um, after I finished, I, I was in the bar hanging out with some comics, and then I heard that the talent coordinator from The Tonight Show was in the audience. That would have been, what, Johnny Carson? Right? Yeah, Johnny yeah. Carson. Right. Johnny Carson. Wow. And at that time, um, The Tonight Show with Johnny Carson, oh, that's all. That's all comedians could talk about. Right. Oh, Johnny. Oh, oh, this <laughs> is Johnny. Oh, I'm so yeah, Johnny. Right. Did Johnny like you? What, what's Johnny? What, what did Johnny say? You know, Johnny, yeah. Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. <laughs> That's, that, that was it. Every night, all you heard was Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Right. <laughs> so, I, I heard, oh, he was in the audience. That means he saw me. Mm. Okay. And, um, and then I, okay, I spent my time that I was going to go home. And in order to leave, I had to pass him. Right. The Tonight Show talent coordinator. Mm. And I passed him and he looked at me and he said, Johnny wouldn't like you. <laughs> and I said... <laughs> I said, you know what? Uh, I'm not so sure I'd like Johnny. Yeah. 
<laughs> it's funny. Uh, maybe two of my favorite figures in comedy ever, Larry and Norm, are the only two guys kind of from that era. Norm was the tail end. But like from that era that I've, I've basically heard say like, fuck Carson. <laughs> what the hell does he know? <laughs> Everyone else was so enamored with getting on there. And I think the reason guys like Norm and Larry were so great <laughs> is because they were like, fuck that. I'll do my own thing. You know, he, he doesn't like Carson because he's popular. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I think fueled Howard Stern for a long time, too. And probably, I mean, also probably guys like Woody Allen and Jerry. So, like, these kind of observational guys they have such a disdain for like what's popular and what's trendy and what's in like they, they have, and Howard, obviously that wasn't really the case because <laughs> he changed many years later, but like at their peak, that's what was great about those guys is they would shit on what was popular, you know, and that became cool. <laughs> like they became, they were counterculture, but became popular because enough people were like yeah fuck that like we don't we don't need that you know yeah <laughs> uh all right what's next uh pitching seinfeld yeah so this is um i mean you know a lot of it is played out it seems like exactly how it happened in the pilot like fairly close um i'm sorry in the episode about the pilot in seinfeld um but yeah larry and jerry were guys who kind of just knew each other from comedy. They weren't necessarily best friends or anything. I guess Jerry just thought this guy might work well with me. And uh, NBC wanted Jerry for a show. And then uh, this kind of played out. I am curious. Um, you know, like if you're doing something, you can tell if it's funny in the moment. Yeah. Do you think they ever got that? Or do you think they like, they'll look back on something that happened like two years prior and like, you know what? That's actually pretty funny. I think, and you can tell in like the episodes of Curb with Jerry and Larry mm -hmm. or um, Comedians in the Car, anything they do together. That Remember we played that clip of them on Saturday Night Live? Yes. Of them two just kind of riffing. I think they knew they had chemistry. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think they knew that them together would could be something. I don't think that they knew Seinfeld necessarily was the idea. Um, but I think, yeah, definitely they knew. And I think that's why Jerry chose Larry as like, this is, this is a guy I really gel with. That's very rare. And it's also why I think like Mark Norman and Joe list should, someone should just give them a show because it's rare. You find two guys who have such similar voices, but are different and can work well with each other and completely understand each other. But and those guys are so influenced yeah. by Jerry and Larry. I was going to say, haven't they come out and said, though, that if they did that, it would just be Seinfeld? But give them, figure something else out. Right. You know, the plot doesn't have to be a show about nothing or two comedians in New York or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, they could still, I think, write a good show. And some of the show we'll talk about later with Larry, um, some that did work and some that didn't, like the movies that he wrote. Uh, like, Clear History, I think, is hilarious. You know, have Joe and Mark write something like that. Whatever I, I'm sure they have ideas that are, you know, different than Seinfeld. But like you know? they, they could even come out with a show that was just uh, Joe and Mark are comics in New York and they love the show Seinfeld. That would be, I would, <laughs> I would watch it and find it funny. <laughs> well, that's the thing I, and you kind of have to respect it about them where they have said, you know, if someone gave us a sitcom, it would just be Seinfeld. So we're afraid of doing something like that because it's already been mastered, but I think it would still be great. 
for sure. You know, even if it wasn't Seinfeld, I still think it would be very good. It would be but. like a it would be like a touch dirtier. Um, well, maybe not dirtier than Curb though. Definitely not dirtier than Curb. Yeah, I mean, you really Curb really gets into some shit. I was gonna say you can't really get. That's like dirty. <laughs> it's just a dirty show, <laughs> which you don't think of because it's Larry, right? Larry kind of gives it a feel like it's you know your funny grandfather telling a story, <laughs> right? But it's it could be the filthiest thing ever, and you're just like, ah, oh, that's you know, uh, cute is the wrong word, but like <laughs> wholesome almost. But yeah. Um, anyways, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, the, uh, pitching of Seinfeld. Yeah. Well, but it was mostly on stage that I had seen him kind of, uh, you know, lose his temper a little bit. But I figured since we're not going to be on stage, we're just going to be in a room. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. We pitched the show <laughs> in much the same way that uh, Jerry and George pitched the show to the NBC executives on the series. Uh, Jerry and I came in and uh, I had no experience at all. Yeah, so he, Larry was a guy. I mean, he did work on two. I guess SNL wasn't a very long run, but he worked on two network television shows prior. So that's the thing when Larry's like, ah, I had no experience. I wasn't successful. It's like, all right, Larry, come on. Well, I, I, <laughs> One of the greatest ever. <laughs> that's true. But his experience was being told it sucks. He got one sketch. On. True. Yeah. People not getting him. So, yeah, that, that, that does make sense, actually. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is like, I don't think Larry wanted to write a sitcom because what the argument you're about to hear about is about, um, you know, one camera versus three camera for anyone that doesn't know that, you know, uh, technical jargon or whatever. The office um, is one. Yeah. It's the office versus Seinfeld. Um, you know, the classic sitcom would be three camera and something like the office would be single camera, which and that's what Curb Your Enthusiasm was, obviously. But Curb was the first to do it, and they did it 10 years later. So for Larry to want to do that in you know the late 80s, early 90s is pretty innovative. And I guess you can see why NBC said no, because they were probably afraid of it. Right. Um, but I, I'm glad that they waited a decade for something like that. It would have been a completely different show, I think. Well, Seinfeld would have been a completely different show, but also just the technology wasn't there yet, I don't think. Right. You know what I mean? It would have looked like, dare I say, an episode of Quincy <laughs> rather than Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, but all right. Uh, so they <laughs> they get in the argument. Like I said, if you've seen Seinfeld, more or less played out like that, it seems like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, this next one's the We're Not Changing It. Yeah, right. No, 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 no. This is not the show. And the room kind of went quiet, and I looked over at one of the Castle Rock executives, Glenn Padnick, and his, his, eye, his, his eyes were popping out of his head. <laughs> yeah, I think he thought that the whole thing was going to go up in smoke right there. That was the famous meeting. If you think we're going to, uh, if this is the idea, and if you think we're going to change it, we're not. Which nobody had even suggested changing it. <laughs> but he was throwing down the meaningless gauntlet. Jerry had a way of kind of convincing me to, to do things, and he said, uh, well, well, we'll talk about it. I, I, it'll be fine. We can, and then eventually I'm thinking now about the $25,000 that I'm going to get for the pilot, and I said, oh, well, yeah, maybe we could do a three-camera show. <laughs> <laughs> Much like George Costanza. But 
That's my favorite because in the uh, so in the episode of Seinfeld that they're talking about, um, Russell Dalrymple is kind of suggesting he doesn't like it. So what I find hilarious about uh, Jerry's story is like no one suggested change it. <laughs> it's like we haven't we haven't even gotten to wanting to change it yet, and you're like that's the idea, and we're not changing it. <laughs> Like, like, no matter what, it's this, this is what's going on in Larry's head. This is what happened. Yeah. And yeah, like, I mean, but there's something to that to where it's like the balls on this guy to walk into NBC and tell them whether or not they're changing it. But, you know, I think that certainly helped. Obviously, it helped him with Seinfeld as well. But like, you know, when he when he takes off and becomes Larry David, it was the thing in his career that drove him to keep doing different stuff, cause him to leave, get, you know, get sick of working on Seinfeld and leave that. Like he always wanted to be original and do things his way. Whereas like a lot of guys would kind of get, you know, lackadaisical and just say, Hey, let's do Seinfeld for 20 seasons. You know, it's still making money. Why not? Why, why wouldn't we keep doing it? Um, and I think that's the problem with a lot of things on television. Whereas Larry, was like, no, I want to keep growing and changing and doing what I do. And when I'm done with it, I'm done. And like with Curb, he'll take, you know, five years off if he wants to and then come back. Right. Um, which I do think that's changed in Larry a little bit, which we'll get into towards the end. Um, it, but I think one of the clips perfectly explains why that's changed a little bit in his later years. But yeah, I think also you hear in that clip a little bit why the partnership of Jerry and Larry works so well and why it's one of the only partnerships. Like if you just go through entertainment history, it's very rare that you find two guys who work together for a long period of time who are considered, you know, whether it's co-hosts, co-creators, um, leaders of the band, whatever. If you have two guys that are on the same level, they both fight desperately for the credit. You know, they both think they're not getting credit for the thing. The other person is getting the credit for. We talked about it with uh, Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. Yep. Um, so it happens all the time in entertainment. There's very few examples of guys that not only are able to work together still on things if they wanted to, but are seem like genuine friends. And that's Jerry and Larry, because I think they both knew their place. Yeah. You know, the only other Larry was the one and they, they illustrate that in curb a little bit where it's like, Larry's the one, um, the episode, the bear midriff when they want to fire the girl, um, for exposing her stomach, wearing the, like the half shirt. Yeah. Um, Larry's talking about how he goes, you're, you're graceful and elegant. And Jerry says, this is not a call for grace. This is, <laughs> this is what you're good at. <laughs> this is where you come in. <laughs> And that's why I think their partnership worked because they both understood that about each other. You know, they both knew their strengths and weaknesses. Yeah. The only other um, people I could say probably don't fight like they did or, or, you know, look at as equals is probably the, it's always Sonny crew. Uh, Man Trey is the other one that Man Trey. Yes. That's yes. Yes. Yeah. And that seems like, like I listened to the always Sonny podcast with the three of those guys and you'll hear them fight on there, but they fight, in the way that you would with your buddies where it's like, and this is going to be an ongoing beef between us, but we get it at the end of the day. Right. You know? Right. Um, so there's a, uh, one more clip here about the Seinfeld pitching, I think. Right. Uh, playing George. 
Uh, oh yeah, this is interesting. We talked a little bit about it in the Seinfeld episode. Um, this is Larry talking about uh, the idea of playing George. He gets asked about it a lot now because People because of the Larry David character, obviously. Have uh, often asked me, uh, "How come you didn't play George? Didn't you want to play George?" And the answer to that is, is no. I had there was never a notion that I wanted to do this. All I want to do was all I wanted to do here was write this thing, get my money, and go back to New York. That's, that was my only plan. There was no plan of acting or anything like that. Uh, and, and plus, they never would have approved of me as an actor anyway, and how could I write it and act at the same time? And, and I, had no, I really had no interest in it at all. You hear even there, like years later, he's going through this shame spiral of, I suck, they wouldn't want me, I'm with, they would never cast me, and why would I want to do it? And, <laughs> but that is one thing it's hard I don't know I go back and forth on this all the time when I think about it uh, because in the episode of Curb where he plays George or tries to play George he's impersonating Jason Alexander and like that wouldn't have worked in that way obviously right but if you go back in time pretend George Costanza never exists <laughs> if it's Larry David playing that I feel like it's the one change they might have been able to make where it's like it could have been still the same show you know what i mean we talked about the other casting like if you put danny devito in there or chris rock or some of these other people it still could have had potential to be a good show it would not be the same show the one difference i think would be larry david because it's him you know yeah, if Chris Rock was on the show, they also wouldn't have got the one critique they ever get. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, right. But then, but even that, like the George Costanza character would have to be cooler, just because Chris Rock is a lot cooler guy than Jason Alexander. <laughs> you know, you couldn't even yeah. be this self as self deprecating as he was. Right. Um. All right. What's next, sir? Uh, this is one of my favorite stories of the Steinbrenner. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, obviously Larry played George Steinbrenner, and um, they. I always thought they wanted him to come back for the finale or something, but I believe it's George's first day with the Yankees or something. I think that's the episode. Um, he also mentioned that Elaine would have been involved in this scene. I'm not exactly sure. But I'm guessing so it would have been around season five, I think. Um, but they wanted George Steinbrenner to play himself, uh, you know, as owner of the Yankees. We had uh, Jerry uh, on the show just a couple of weeks ago, Larry, and I asked him, <clears throat> how come Steinbrenner himself never appeared on Seinfeld? And he said Steinbrenner shot a scene but it was so bad you cut it. Is that a true story? True story, yeah. What was so bad about it? We brought him out, I think, for the last show of the 95 season. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not quite sure um, when it was, but um, he flew out on his private jet to do the show mm -hmm. and flew back that day. And, okay, he did it. And uh, then I, I go into editing and I'm watching the show and oh my God, he was so awful. <laughs> he was so bad. It was, you couldn't use it. It was much better from behind with my voice, you know, than actually seeing the real, the real guy doing it. Right. So that was a scene where he was with Costanza with, with he was with Elaine in a restaurant, I think. Okay. And, um, I had to call him up and tell him he was cut. 
<laughs> How did that go? I called Yankee Stadium. I said, it's, uh, I want to talk to Mr. Steinbrenner. It's Larry David. He got on the phone. <laughs> I said, uh, um, Mr. Steinbrenner, it's Larry David calling from the Seinfeld show. Yes, yes, Larry. What is it? I said, um, <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm sorry to tell you this. He said, Come on, you can tell me. I'm a big boy. I can take it. Yeah. <laughs> but you slipped right back in that voice. It's yeah, like right. I slipped right back in. Right. And I said, I'm seeing, you know, I've been cut from the show. And uh, I, I said, it's it's not your fault, but it's just you know, the scene wasn't working. And uh, that was it. How do you take it? <clears throat> he was a big boy. He took it well. <laughs> yeah. I told you how he was going to take it. And he and, actually, and, took, and it actually well. took it. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh first of all it's probably a good thing because you can't have george steinbrenner in the show as himself and then have larry play him afterwards you know right right but the thing i kept going back to while he's telling that story is in the first appearance of george steinbrenner in seinfeld it's like it's larry david's voice and a silhouette of what's supposed to be steinbrenner right and he says nice to meet you and then George just goes off on how bad the Yankees are and everything. And George says, hire this man. Those are the two lines. <laughs> now, I don't know what script they gave Steinbrenner when he was actually there, but it's amazing to think like he was so bad that they were like, we can't give him these even two lines even. <laughs> it's just, oof. <laughs> how bad could that possibly have been? I know Steinbrenner's episode of uh, he hosted SNL. And I believe it's considered like one of the worst of all time. So how much wasn't built for acting? How much money did they have to pay the Yankees to use them in the show? You think? Oh, interesting. I don't know. I wonder, I think NBC had a deal with, I think they had major league baseball at that time. So I don't know if it made it easier. Uh, it probably. Yes. Yeah, but they had the Yankees logo in there and everything, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, all George the time. was wearing his hat all the time. He was doing Able batting Pat practice. Ruth's jersey. <laughs> yeah, he was doing like batting practice when he wasn't uh, uh, when he wasn't focusing on sex anymore and he was good at yeah. everything. He was teaching Jeter how to swing. Yeah. <laughs> Fitted hat day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what if a pinhead shows up? I got to figure that out. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. Um, and then, you know, obviously he left after... Uh, seven seasons, which we talked about. And like I said, there's a, it, it lost its like how grounded it was and based in complete reality and everyday events. Like it did lose that when Larry left and there was a, a f- some more like sitcomish tropes in there and things like that. But I think some of the funniest lines are in the last two seasons. So it's hard to be like, was like without, Larry Seinfeld sucked. Like that was never the case. I think people that say that are trying to sound smarter by saying it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like trying to sound astute by saying, I don't, I don't care for the last two seasons. It's like, they're hilarious. It's not the same show. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's not the same basic idea of the characters, but even some of those, um, some of the ideas in the last two seasons, come up and curb um, like the episode where uh, Putty and Elaine are fighting on the flight and Putty just stares straight ahead. And she's like, you don't read anything while you fly. He's like, no, Jeff does the same thing in curb. So there's literally things in Seinfeld <laughs> that are in curb later from the years. Larry wasn't there. It's very weird. Yeah. It was probably Larry going, I can make this better. 
<laughs> I wonder, or it's I want like I was I did wonder about that, or if the same writer worked on Curb or something. I've always wondered about that, but I don't know. Putty was great. Um, oh, of course. You know, it's funny as I was uh, pulling clips of this, a commercial came up during one of the YouTube videos with Patrick Warburton. <laughs> <laughs> he made that he made that show Rules of Engagement kind of funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah, which. And that's an example of like a cast being funnier than the show. You know what I mean? Like right. the idea of him and David Spade, they're like they're funny, but I don't know if the show itself was funny. Yeah. It had its moments. Um, all right. What's next? Uh, the idea for curb. Yeah. So uh, curb. Uh, well, let's let Jeff Garland tell it before I uh, butcher the story. And then he came up with, how did he put you into this show? How to curb your enthusiasm? Well, curb your enthusiasm. I, I was right. Oh, what? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> how did he put you into this thing? His voice towards the end of his life was always just like burp noises. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm sorry, Larry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. And then he came up with, how did he put you into this show? How to curb your enthusiasm? Curb your, you know, I was writing a show um, in a suite of offices with a mutual friend of ours, Alan Zweibel. And um, he asked me to lunch one day. And uh, Alan couldn't go. So just the two of us at lunch. And I had been on the road with Dennis Leary and John Stewart, helping them make their comedy specials um i was you know developing their specials with them so we were start talking about comedy whatever and he said hbo's talking to me about doing something i said well if you do a great thing to do would be behind the scenes of a making of an hbo special and um i was going to direct it i wasn't even going to be in it yeah. and that was his idea that i play his manager um yeah you know it's a great thing when you bring an idea to a genius yeah, oh yeah. I mean, why did know. that show why does that show work? We went on vacation, took all the tapes and just watched them. Two two reasons why. <laughs> Obviously, it's funny. And two, it's irreverent. And when I say irreverent, not irreverent just for irreverence sakes, but it's it's uh, it's not remotely politically correct. It just does it's it's a, it's an intelligent man operating from an id. I love the idea that Larry King's stamp of approval is, I brought them on vacation with me. I ruined my wife's vacation. <laughs> I watched DVD. That's how you know the show works. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's a, a, a perfect description of it is like, Larry is a brilliant man. And in every episode, I, like I say he's right. It's, this is the, I think this is a good summary of the brilliance of Curb. Is that uh, like if I watch it with my girlfriend, I'll say, uh, uh, "Larry is always right in my mind." <laughs> She's yeah. like, "Of course you think that because that's how you would handle that situation." That's exactly right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so it's I, I, I'm thinking he's right. My girlfriend is like, "I have to deal with this bullshit," <laughs> but we're both laughing at the same outcome. You know what I mean? Like you can put yourself in either perspective in curb because he's aware of who he is. Right. Like he feels he's absolutely in the right, but he's also able to say, this is how someone else would react to this nonsense, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean like curb is such a brilliant show. And I think honestly, even more because 
like Larry was able to write it in a way where now he's rich. He's the creator of Seinfeld, but he's still dealing. He's dealing with the problems that he would still deal with. Do you get what I mean? Like he's not, he didn't become unrelatable somehow, even though in the show and he didn't try to be relatable. Like that's the interesting thing is in the show, he's living in a mansion and like something they'll just get up and move to a different mansion in some episodes. I was going to say the only thing that's truly unrelatable in the show to most people is his housing, but he drives like a Prius. Like <laughs> true. Yeah. But like, he, I mean, he always has money for shit. You know what I mean? Like he didn't yeah. try to make it like, Oh, I'm, uh, down on his luck guy to make it relatable, which I think a lot of networks would have given you notes. Uh, he had the luxury of being Larry David and also working with HBO. Mm. So they were like, yeah, fine. It's you. We, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do. Yeah, do this till it doesn't uh, work. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, another thought. Oh, and that's the other thing. Interesting thing about Larry is like, he has good self-awareness and is not afraid of, um, things failing in the sense that like you could argue that Leon is the same character as Kramer for sure. Uh, you could argue that Jeff is kind of his Jerry yet. He knew that the show would be different enough that people wouldn't go, Oh, it's Seinfeld. I'm mean, granted Leon came in six seasons in, right? but still he knew the show would be different enough that it wasn't, Seinfeldy, <laughs> and the show is more about Larry's beefs with you know Richard Lewis and Ted Danson and Funkhauser and these people rather than um, in Seinfeld where it was like George was almost the bad guy like <laughs> you were kind of rooting for Larry whereas I feel like sometimes you were rooting for George to fail you know it's <laughs> yeah. a great way to put it the, yeah. one, the one that's supposed to be portraying him you're like fuck that guy <laughs> yeah <right. laughs> uh Oh, well, one other thing to mention before we get further into Curb is uh, he did have things that didn't work necessarily. Um, Do you ever hear of Sour Grapes? Yes. It was, uh, and they reference it in the first season of Curb, but it was his movie that uh, bombed pretty much, Mm -hmm. did not do well. Um, And the premise of it is, again, sounds like a funny premise. I thought about watching it before we did this episode, and then I thought to myself, maybe that could be a good Patreon episode down the road. I'll just watch it. Um, Yeah, but we'll see about that. But the premise is um, two brothers are at a casino, I think in uh, Atlantic City, and um, one gives the other his quarters. And the guy who receives the quarters goes and plays a slot machine and wins, uh, you know, like a couple million dollars or something like that. And so it's about the the brothers beefing because the guy who won the money doesn't want to split it with his brother. The guy who gave him the money thinks he's owed half because it was his quarters. Um, So it sounds like a great premise, (laughs) like, but it's, I, I watched a clip of it. And it was shot similar to Office Space. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's had, it's had that kind of look to it. Yeah, yeah. So I think it was a matter of like a low-budget, late 90s comedy. And no, keep in mind, the co-creator of Seinfeld in 1998 or whatever, that doesn't have the same appeal as, you know, Jerry Seinfeld's going out and making a movie. Right. <clears throat> you know, so no one knew who the fuck Larry David, Larry David, it... it 
1998, that's the same as, you know, seeing a commercial on Fox that's, you know, from the producers of The Office. You're like, oh, well, that's probably who gives a fuck. You right. Know? Yeah, man, his life probably. Dr- Ricky Gervais. <laughs> Actually, I was just going to say, I'm pretty sure his life drastically changed after Curb, but I think there's a clip later on that it kind of gets into that. Um, I think it might be the next one. What's the next one? Improv. It's uh, the dais on the. With the oh, oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, so we get into that a little later. But yeah, this is um, uh, the cast and Larry talking about uh, why Curb is shot as improv. And Larry, when the show premiered, there weren't a lot of uh, improv um, single cam comedies on television at that time. <laughs> Just, I don't think there talk, were any. What's that? I don't think there were any. Well, okay, there were none. Um, <laughs> talk about uh, the decision to take that route. Well, because the special, the first thing we did was a special, and that was supposed to be a documentary about me going back to do stand-up after a 10-year absence. So I started to think, well, it's going to be really boring to just see me. What what, what are you going to watch? Besides the stuff that was going to be on stage, what was the offstage stuff going to be? What, are you going to follow me around in the supermarket, picking up my dry cleaning? It seemed really boring to me, so... (laughs) So I started to concoct some scenes. I, I gave myself a wife. I had a wife at the time. But I, <laughs> <laughs> I gave myself a wife and a manager. And, uh, so I, and then in order for this thing to seem like a documentary, it had to be improvised. So that was really why, why we chose to do that. And also, um, I, I remember taking a class once in improvisation. It seemed like a lot of fun. And I hated memorize, the idea of memorizing lines. So it, it, all, it, it all seemed to work. <laughs> He's not a bad actor. Like, in the scenes in Curb, granted, it's very limited. But, like, there's a scene where he's working with Scorsese. <laughs> yes. And I'm almost like, I, I kind of want to see this movie. <laughs> yes. Me too. And also, like, he does the play with Mel Brooks, the producers. And it's like, he's not a... He, I, I do think he fits these roles well. Like, I, I don't think he's as bad an actor as he makes himself out to be. Like, other than those instances, obviously, he's really only played himself. Um, well, also, he played, uh, I think he was in, like, a Broadway play, but he was also in um, Whatever Works, which was a Woody Allen movie. And, I mean, if you want to talk influence, uh, there are a few clearer examples of influence than Woody Allen to Larry David. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, it's clear as day, but it's like we've talked about in other rare occasions. It's an example. And I feel this way when I said Joe List with Larry David. The influence is very clear. But there are times where it's like you're not ripping this person off. You just relate to this person so much that we see them in you. You know what I mean? Like Larry David relates to the comedy of Woody Allen. I'm sure not his off off stage life at all. We'll hope not. But it relates to the comedy of Woody Allen so much that uh, it just pours through him. You know what I mean? Like he, before working with him, I I watched him um, out promoting that movie, whatever works. Um, And he's talking about, you know, meeting Woody Allen early on. And they were very brief interactionally. He was in a couple Woody Allen movies, but barely met the guy. So it's not like he studied at the hand of Woody Allen. I think he was just such a fan of his work because he related to it so much, you know? 
Yeah, yeah, he related to him so much. That's why he's actually mad at Pete Davidson, not just for leaving his daughter. <laughs> he's like taking his girl. <laughs> well, you you uh, you see in other people too. Like um, I think Shane Gillis is an example of that with Louis, where he's clearly influenced by Louis. Yeah, like if you watch a stand up, there's a lot of Louis in there, but like there's never a second where you're like, oh, he's ripping Louis off. You know what I mean? It's just he. You can tell he probably grew up watching that. Uh, because he related to it so much, you know. Exactly. Um, but uh, do I have one more note? What's the next before I uh, stand up? Uh, oh yeah, so we're finally going to get a uh, a taste of his stand up here, and this is one of um, I think there's two bits in this clip, two different bits, and one is somewhat similar to the one Louis was talking about. Um, the other one, the first one you hear is um, must have been from his early stand-up days he must have brought it back by the way it's also funny to hear in that last clip larry be like i thought making a documentary about a comedian would be stupid meanwhile jerry seinfeld is the biggest documentary about comedy ever <laughs> well, <laughs> well i think it came out like two years yeah ago. yeah um which he was wrong about because that i love that documentary it's a great documentary yeah um but it's just funny to hear larry be like yeah i thought it was a dumb idea <laughs> that that um, that documentary might be like an episode one day <laughs> it should be actually that's a good idea because uh, a lot a ton of comedians now say that literally influenced them into doing comedy mm. um but anyways uh his his first bit that you'll hear is um I think it was either the Mark Twain prize uh, ceremony, whatever the fuck they do, or Kennedy Center honors or something like that. They were honoring Larry David somewhere. And Jason Alexander brought him on stage. And um, the bit he told was the first joke you're going to hear Larry tell here. Uh, but Jason Alexander tells it as like, this is a guy I saw do stand up in the eighties. And I was like, what the fuck is that? He was one of the audience members that Louie was talking about where he's like, I don't fucking get it, <laughs> but it's, it's a funny, you'll hear him do it here. And it's a funny bit. I think I'm going to do very well tonight. I really do. <laughs> I feel like just unbelievably confident. Pause well, one second. I'm sorry. And it's just for anyone that knows Joe list. You already see what I mean, right? Oh, for sure. He's barely said anything. And you're like, Oh yeah, no, definitely <laughs> for sure. That was a bad start. It was a bad start. <laughs> a really stupid start. I don't know why I did that. Uh, you know, you'll see. Well, you've been, uh, you seem like a very nice audience tonight. I'm wondering, uh, in case I break into some Spanish or French, may I use the familiar two form with you people? <laughs> instead of usted, because I think usted is going to be a little too formal for this crowd. I feel already I've established the kind of rapport that I can, I can jump into the two form with you. <laughs> I'm going to use the two-form, and that's it. You can't talk me out of it. <laughs> you know, Caesar used the two-form with Brutus even after Brutus stabbed him. He said it had two brute, and I think that's a little too informal when someone's trying to assassinate you. <laughs> I think at that point, perhaps, instead, he, he would have been better off. But that's Caesar. That's crazy, wacky, mixed-up Julius Caesar. The thing about uh, Hitler that I admire is that he wouldn't take any shit from magicians, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hitler was a big, big fan of magic, and 
Hitler would go to a, uh, he'd go to a magic club, and he'd watch the show, and uh, afterwards he'd go, he'd go backstage and talk to the magician. He'd go, it was a wonderful show, uh, and I was just uh, wondering, I was talking to my friend, where's the rabbit? <laughs> I'm sorry, my Fuhrer. Uh, I'm really glad you enjoyed it, but we're really not allowed to to tell about the secrets. You know, they're, they're tricks. We're not allowed. Yes, yes, I understand you're not allowed to tell, but just tell me, where's the rabbit? <laughs> it's funny, Kanye West could watch that and be like, that's funny, the thing I admire about Hitler is... <laughs> Everything else. <laughs> it's... It, Again, that's why I think Larry would have been a great stand-up. Just the balls. First of all, you can tell based on the laughs he's getting. A, I don't think he's getting Seinfeld laughs. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. No, I mean Hitler. I no, I don't, I'm saying I don't think he's getting. Oh, this is the creator of oh, Seinfeld. For sure. We're excited for sure. to see him. I don't think he's getting any of that. And uh, also, it's like a club setting. You know what I yeah. mean? Which I think is kind of a cool way for him to do it. No, not even. It looked more like an open mic setting. It was like on the floor of a restaurant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I wonder, like, what would Larry, if he never did Curb, um, or if he, even if he just wrote a show like Curb, I wonder what Larry's legacy would be today. Because now he's so recognizable. But back then, no one knew who the fuck he was. You know, he was... Um, I'm trying to think of another pairing like that where you never saw the, oh, like um, Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg. Yep. Evan Goldberg could be in this room right now. And not just because I'm blind, but I wouldn't know who the fuck he was. Uh, whereas Seth Rogen, one of the most recognizable people in Hollywood, you know? Yep. Um, so I wonder if that's what Larry David's career would have been if he wasn't in Curb. So, you know, and like we heard in prior clips, well, he does on, to some extent have an ego to him for sure. So I think he was probably like, Hey, like I could do this, you know, like that would George Costanza was me. Like, I kind of want to show everyone that, you know? Yeah. And, um, I've, I think I've talked about it before, but in that, um, video that I cut that stand up out of one mm -hmm. of my favorite lines ever was uh, shortly after that, when he said, uh, the closest he ever came to death was when he jerked off with a 104 degree fever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And that's like, so that talking about jerking off with a fever, uh, Hitler's take on magicians <laughs> and you know, the two form of Spanish being used by Julius Caesar. I don't know if those topics, maybe the masturbation one, but I don't know if the other topics have really been touched on in comedy, you know? <laughs> no, that's why, that's what, another thing too, is uh, when you're saying like, he's not getting the laugh because of who he is. Right. Just the saying he appreciates Hitler because he didn't take shit from magicians. It's just a funny line. <laughs> it's a hilarious line. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I, I, that's interesting to think about like, what would he, you know, what would he have done? And if he was a stand-up, how successful would he be? And like I said, I think he would kind of be a comics comic, like a, you know, obviously probably a lot dirtier, but a guy like Brian Regan, where like, if you're a stand-up fan, you know him and he can sell out a theater. But like, if you just say the name Brian Regan to someone who doesn't give a fuck about stand-up, they don't know who that is. Yeah. Jim Gaffigan's you know? the famous version of Brian Regan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Jim Gavigan became like a household name, obviously. But yeah, like that, uh, just watching that stand up, and that's a guy who hadn't done stand up in 10 years. 
Um, but luckily that evolved into the idea of curb. And um, I think now we're at uh, Jeff Garland again, right? Yeah. Talking about getting famous. Yeah. So this is Garland on Rogan kind of talking about what we were just talking about, like watching the evolution of Larry. The more, the warmer and the more interesting the person is, the more I give them of myself. How does Larry David handle it? He's not bad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big fan. Oh, thank you. You know, how about that? <laughs> it's not. Impression. Yeah, thanks. I've, I've seen him go through because it was, it's, it, I saw him become famous. You know, he was on Fridays, he created Seinfeld, but that still wasn't the fame that he has now. So I saw him through Curb Your Enthusiasm become truly iconic. So he's had trouble figuring out how to, people want to take a picture, people, you know, how do I do it? And it's always changing. He's never an asshole. It's so, it's such an interesting point that you wouldn't really think about. Because you're like, oh, he created Seinfeld. He'd been famous for 10 years. But it's even, obviously, the fact that he's behind the camera. But also, like, just without the internet being what it is now. You know what I mean? Like, now, if Jerry Seinfeld and uh, Larry David were co-creating the equivalent of Seinfeld today, you know, if they were both behind White Lotus, <laughs> or whatever the fuck, <laughs> Succession, whatever the big show is now, yeah, maybe we would know their names. But like in the nineties, you know, you didn't know the co-creator other than seeing it in big letters in the credits every week, you know, the fuck Larry, da- you knew Larry David as well as you knew who Larry Charles was, you know what I mean? Or any of the like executive producers on Seinfeld, mm-hmm. George Shapiro, you know, the fuck that was Ben's dad. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, but yeah, I, I like, it's interesting that he had to deal with that. And so this is my, the point I was making earlier or alluded to earlier, um, why I think curb has kind of suffered the last couple of years. Uh, I think there are a couple of great moments in curb in the later seasons. Uh, one of them, I, I, the one I think everyone points to is, uh, the MAGA hat is a brilliant episode. Great episode where he wears a make America great again hat to get out of situations. <laughs> no one wants to talk to him. <laughs> Um, but the other one in the latest season was, uh, more subtle. So the premise is Albert Brooks is throwing himself a funeral (laughs) to just like to get a feel for what people would do. He's like, you know, you don't have to go to my funeral. Like he, he wants to throw himself in a live funeral. I think he calls it. And so Larry goes begrudgingly and, uh, he walks into the funeral and uh, he sees John Hamm in line. He goes, hey, John. And Larry, uh, John Hamm goes, hey, Larry, how's it going? As if he was at a funeral. <laughs> so, like, treating it somberly. And Larry's like, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> and just that little thing of, like, them trying to take it seriously. And Larry being like, he's in the other room watching us, John. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, there are moments like that. But my point being... Um, I think Larry now has started to become a celebrity. Oh, for sure. You know, meaning like he's kind of enjoying it, <laughs> you know, oh, yeah. like, I don't know if that was the case in the early scenes of curb, but like he'll host SNL. Now he'll go on and play Bernie Sanders. He'll do the crypto commercials that you were talking about. Like what possible reason did he need to be in that crypto commercial for? He, he's like the last person in Hollywood that needs money. You know what I mean? He couldn't need money. By the way, uh, I'm sure we mentioned in the Seinfeld episode, but if you didn't know, 
Um, Larry's worth about $900 million. So, oh, I take that back. Uh, because a few years ago, they estimated his net worth at like $450 million. You care to guess why? The Think divorce? Think of the two numbers I threw out there. Divorce? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so uh, apparently, he's worth about half that now. Um, but that's why you sign a prenup, folks. You never know how successful you'll be. But, um, yeah, Larry David, um, I think is kind of basking in that fame a little bit. And, you know, you'll hear about him at like, you know, famous people's weddings and he's out. I think he was on Martha's Vineyard for that big, like Obama party that, uh, your boy, Jerry probably got all upset about. Uh, he's at things like that. He's at a lot of events like that, that, you know, the curmudgeon Larry that we know probably wouldn't go to those things. But famous Larry, I think he's enjoying him a little bit. So, like, I don't mind. I think with a lot of other people, I'd be like, oh, you've changed, man. Yeah. But with Larry, it's like, yeah, good for him. Yeah. His, you know what I mean? Like, he's been an anxious, neurotic guy his entire life. He deserves to kick back and enjoy it. And his, who cares if the last season of Curb wasn't as good as the <laughs> season five or whatever. His net worth is currently listed at four hundred million. I have looked in the past, and it was eight hundred fifty million. So, yeah. So the deal, because I, the only reason I know this, I think, is because everyone compared the deal Matt and Trey got to the deal that uh, Larry and Jerry got, and I believe that one was also nine hundred million dollars. Um, now, Larry, I think, is still being paid. I, I think, I forget if he sold his syndication rights. Hmm. I forget if he's still making money on every Seinfeld that plays, Um, but it's crazy. Like Jerry makes money again. Like when they sell it to Netflix, Jerry's making more money, you know, like the amount of money they have made off that show. He's, he's also making a ridiculous amount doing standup. Jerry. Yeah. He's gotta be, he can, yeah, he can do I millions. I would think a night. Um, well, he's still only doing theaters for some, like he could do bigger. Does things. he not do arenas ever? No, not that I've oh, seen. Oh yeah, so then I'm overshooting it probably. But he's probably. Well, I, I will say a, a ticket to see Jerry Seinfeld's probably 150 bucks or something. Like he's that. he's yeah. making a minimum probably 200k a show. Yeah. Oh, easily. Yeah. Because yeah. I know Artie Lang would make. Like, I was gonna say Artie Lang was throwing out those numbers back in the day. Yeah, he would do that for a weekend though. Yeah, I think. Uh, Why well, I, I did like the quick when I saw Bill Burr at Fenway. I just did based on the price of my ticket. I just did a rough estimate and I was like, there's no way he is making less than $3 million tonight. Yeah. Was it like 36,000 people times so, well, probably more because they put seats on the field? Oh, that's right. So 50, yeah. was it that many? It couldn't have been. No. Um, it's crazy either way. But yeah. anyways, we're getting off track here. Yeah. Uh, get us back on track. Well, uh, we're through the story of Larry David, and we're into the part that YouTube's probably going to hate where we have clips from the show. Uh, don't HBO, don't fuck us here, huh? Yeah, come on. But I guess it is a good time to mention uh, if there are any videos edited out of the free YouTube version, come on to the Patreon. Come on, back behind the old paywall. We'll take good care of Come you. say hi if you want to see the whole video. Yeah, come on. It's a, the water's fine back here. You know, you get all your expletives. They don't take any of those out. We could talk about uh, the COVID vaccine if you want to back here. Yeah. YouTube is not babysitting us on Patreon. So go to blindmike.net. Uh, but yeah, I just pulled a few of my favorite curb clips to uh, end a Larry David Appreciation Day on the right note. Um, so the first one is probably 
I mean, it might be my favorite scene in Curb history. Um, but I here's a better way to phrase it. I think this perfectly describes Larry David's influence on me. <laughs> like this is how I am in these like whatever I picked up from watching Seinfeld as a kid over and over again. This is the part that rubbed off on me. <laughs> Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, Already. So, <laughs> so if you're not watching the video, uh, he's buying weed and I believe approaching Danny Tamborelli. Am I wrong about that? I think that's who that is. He looks familiar. For any of you Pete and Pete fans. Um, but yeah, he's by just already. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. <laughs> the awkwardness. I couldn't help but notice the, uh, the transaction between you and the the other gentleman. And, uh, what exactly were you thinking of? A little uh, little weed going. You know, some weed. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> first of all, you can calm down a little. Sure. Just, you know, relax. Just yeah. no, I'm, I'm, create the illusion that we're friends talking here, all right? What are you, you kidding me? You know what? You're 100% yeah, right. That's too much. All right, that's <laughs> You're doing fine. Right. Just chill out. All right. Well, I can get you an ounce of, like, some real, you know, hydroponic scientific stuff that that'll run you 500 bucks. Hydroponic? Yeah. I'm not looking for a sound system, my friend. <laughs> you know what I mean? Just looking to get my father a little... A little relief. Let's play it safe. I'll give you an ounce of swag. Swag. It'll cost you two hundred bucks. An ounce of swag. Two hundred. Two hundred. Is that a fair, fair price? You're quoting me there, sir. Look, <laughs> pay me two hundred bucks or go fuck yourself. Okay. Well. Look, I don't need to sell the yeah, drugs. No. The drugs will sell themselves. Sure. Yeah, no, forget it. No, let's go do swag. Swag. Two hundred for swag. No, 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 no. Swag. Two hundred. Okay, I got it. I got it. So what do we do? What you got 200 right? Yes. Yes. All right. Take out the 200 bucks. I'll, I'll count to three. Where is it? It's right here. Let me hold Let me put my hand on it. Just give me your money, sir. One. Hold me, I got you. not letting me put my hand. Your hand is on it. Okay. Your hand One. is on it. All right. One, two, three. Just sit. <laughs> All right. Now keep walking. Okay. Any particular direction? Just say, just, just, just please move. <laughs> just walk. Just walk. Just walk. Jesus Christ. I gotta go this way. Just go, just go. <laughs> so my yes. my favorite part is that he's got the Seinfeld like Letterman jacket on. <laughs> oh well, if you remember, and he's trying to get out of jury duty in that episode. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But, but um, it, everything about that scene, like f- the awkwardness of both not wanting to offend the drug dealer <laughs> by suggesting it was too easy. No, 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 no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But also completely showing your ass that you're neurotic and nervous about this, opening the door for him to easily rip you off. <laughs> it's just like, I relate to it so much. And that like the speech pattern I relate to, like, it's something I can't get out of and it's what everyone makes fun of me for the way I talk and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's the reason people think I have a fake radio voice, but you can blame this yeah, bald asshole <laughs> for writing the greatest show of all time. And me being a uh, latchkey kid that would just come home and watch TBS all afternoon. <laughs> Rewatching Seinfeld over and over again is why I talk like that. Right. <laughs> 
the next scene I think is one of my favorite lines in Curb history, right? Funk. Is this the, uh, the from the Palestinian chicken episode? Yeah, this is after like the first long break that they took, right? This season. Yeah. Which, in my opinion, I think season eight. I mean, you know, for nostalgia, and it did have a lot of great episodes. A lot of people say season seven is the best season of Curb. I think season eight, at the very least, rivals it. I think season eight was there's a lot of awesome episodes in there. Which one was um, which? Season seven was the Seinfeld reunion. Yeah, I. Ugh. It's season tough. eight is like the Palestinian chicken, um, the baseball hall of fame. Yeah. With uh, Buckner J. Fox. Yeah. 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 <laughs> he hears him walking up above him. <laughs> Although season eight, you know, season eight, oddly enough, kind of reminds me of season eight of Seinfeld mm-hmm. where you start to get, I think it, it might be my favorite season, but you do some of the plot lines are a little like, uh, okay, well now we're stretching a little bit. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wasn't it as far well, as reality? Season seven and eight, wasn't there like a few years in between? Let's see. Season. Yeah, probably. Um, You know what? Only probably a couple. Season eight and nine was like the big five-year break. Right. I'm saying like this was like the first time it didn't come out the next year, though. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you might be right about that. And that was when this is like the first season that I was like, meh. Like on a couple uh, of times. Oh, really? I loved it. I like I awesome. like season eight a lot. I think one of the funniest things ever to happen in Curb is when Michael J. Fox hands him a soda and it explodes. <laughs> <laughs> like that's one of the funniest is things. Parkinson's. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. Uh, but this is from an uh, episode from that same season, and one of my favorite lines: him and uh, the great Bob Einstein, rest in peace, uh, who plays Marty Funkhauser, obviously. Show me the promised land, huh? Lame son of Matt. Uh, Pause, I guess I'm going to some context. I forgot. <laughs> Just two people fucking. I imagine anyone that's made it this far into the episode has seen Curb. <laughs> but if you haven't, um, Marty Funkhauser is a devout Jew. He's rechanneling his Judaism. But to get into this Palestinian chicken restaurant, the Palestinians don't want anyone wearing a yarmulke or anything in there. So Larry wrestles <laughs> the yarmulke off Marty's head. And this woman fucks him because she's so turned on by it. So that's the context for this episode. Yeah, he's a self-hating Jew, right? Yes. Yeah. In her mind. You circus-sized oh. 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 We seek him here, we seek him there. Those Frenchies seek him everywhere. Is he in heaven? Is he in hell? That damned elusive Pimpernel. <laughs> Man, <laughs> look who's here. Well, well, Martin, Shara, <laughs> Shara, Martin. All right, then, shall we? He's so funny. <laughs> Was sorry. Problem? Fuck me, Jew bastard. (laughs) Small price to pay for the best sex I've ever had anywhere. This woman is amazing. When did you have your orgasm when she said she'd fuck the Jew out of you? (laughs) (laughs) The delivery of those two lines and the, the disgust that Bob Einstein has in those scenes. That is probably why Marty Funkhauser is my... Uh, 
I think the idea. So if we're talking favorite side characters on curb, mm-hmm. I think his rivalry with Susie is the funniest kind of through line. Yep. Um, I think Leon's existence is the funniest. Like the idea that his family moved in because there was a hurricane and when they all leave and hate Larry, he's like, I'm going to go inside and eat my fucking food. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I think his relationship with Richard Lewis is great. But I think Funkhauser is probably my favorite side character. Oh, for sure. Even just... um uh, in the in season seven, when they're at the writers' yeah. table and he's just there, and yeah. he goes, "Hey Jerry, you want to hear a joke? A joke. <laughs> <laughs> That's my cut in the sink." <laughs> uh, which, by the way, Larry David, I uh, had a hand in making that documentary on HBO about Bob Einstein. Oh, did he? Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, two more clips from Curb, right? Yep. Uh, and this is another. I. I I wanted to include, oh, you know who's another great one is? I'd say Rivals is rivalry with Susie is him and Wanda. Mm-hmm. Oh, Wanda's there for every racial incident that he has. <laughs> yeah, anytime something happens, she just yeah. pops out. Yeah, black man with suit, parks your car. Black man, no suit, he's going to steal your car. <laughs> <laughs> but I, 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 you know, maybe we'll do uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm where we play more of those clips and shit. But uh, I didn't want to include too many. So this is another one of my favorite lines. It's uh, from the episode where he thinks the weatherman is predicting rain to keep people off the golf course. <laughs> That's a great idea. <laughs> and Larry confronts him about it. It's going on. Beautiful up. day, huh? Yeah. Good yeah. day for golf. What's up? Yeah, you know, I was supposed to play today. Really? And Jeff called me last night and canceled because of your weather report about thunder showers. You made a mistake, so what? Come on. Oh, I said it was going to be thunder showers? Yeah, yeah. Tomorrow's forecast, folks, I'm sorry to say it, it is rain, thunder showers, the big ones, folks, all day. Oops. <laughs> oh, oh. Yeah, okay, nice to see you. Good Too to see bad you there. for me. Take care. Too bad for me. I, I, I don't quite get your point. All right, well, the man, I'm going to tell you my point. I've got a sneaking suspicion that you're predicting rain to clear the golf course for yourself. Oh my God. <laughs> so for you golfers out there, better find something else to do. I know I'll be watching that Godfather trilogy. Jennifer, stew back to you. That's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Come on. Ridiculous. It's, it's the happened weather. before, weatherman. You know it. And you know what? I'm calling the weather people. You're going to say, yeah, report me because it's a nice day? I'm going to report you because every time you want to play golf, Larry, you make sure that it's raining. Larry, first of all, I'm not a weatherman. I'm a meteorologist. I'd appreciate oh, a little bit of respect. Me, right, come on, can you guys just down? We're in the middle of a game of golf here. Right? Larry? Yes, Stop. there's a low-pressure system sitting out over the coast. The jet stream brings that into this area. The jet stream. The jet stream is controlled by the rotation of the earth. Ooh. You know who controls that? Yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? There's a jet stream the bullshit coming out of your All mouth, right, my friend. Okay, you are busted, what, buddy. What, stop pointing with the cane. You're what, busted. What? <laughs> You're busted. I just like to excuse me, doctor. That is one of my favorite lines ever. Is <laughs> the idea of someone taking themselves too seriously. First of all, I'm a meteorologist. Oh, <laughs> excuse me, doctor. Love it. And actually, again, to compare him to Mark Norman and Joe List, like, uh, remember that clip we played on the Blind Mike project of Mark Norman dealing with a heckler? Yes. And uh, he goes, whoa, pff, uh, sexual assault. You're, you're mocking sexual assault. Yeah. That's exactly like Larry in that <laughs> Yeah, exactly. 
that's another thing I meant to say about Larry is first of all, like his delivery, like he talks about not being a good actor. His delivery really makes that show. Oh, I know. No, he's that's he's, just. Right. It's one of his I'm, times I'm he's sorry, trying Doc. to be humble. And hey, you're busted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's just him trying to be humble. You know, he, he can't come out and be like, I'm the best. So <laughs> Right, right. And it, it, even like the delivery early on, he's like, I'll tell you my problem, weather man. <laughs> <laughs> that might, just so disrespectfully keeps calling him weather man. I'm going to have to read. Instead of whatever his name is. Yeah. I'm going to have to but, restart the curb, I think. Um. Yeah, I haven't seen. Yeah, it, it's perfect time too because I haven't seen it in a while. It's been, it's been like know? a long time for me. Um, but so the weatherman is a good example of the other thing. I always I talk about it a lot with Seinfeld, but it's true of Curb too, where it's amazing the ability they had to find people that would fit that show. Right. Like that's the as as far as I know. I don't know if the actor plays another character in another episode that I can't think of. But I think that's the only episode we see that guy playing the weatherman. Right. That's like, he's not a, you know, he's not in the show. He's just, this is a one-off thing for him. They have so many like outstanding one-offs. Yeah. And he's a, he plays such a great, you know, who controls that Larry God. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) His performance is so amazing. And he's just a guy they used for one episode and moved on. Like the ability to find people that fit that show especially when it's such a specific thing and throw in with curb, something they didn't have to deal with in Seinfeld, throw in the fact that it's improv. Right. You know what I mean? That you're able to find actors that play with Larry and just the idea to find people in comedy, like, um, you know, people at the level of like a couple of years ago, Andrew Santino was in an episode. So it's like Andrew Santino's popular, but he's not like some elite in comedy. Like a guy who grew up respecting and loving Larry David to be in an episode and to have to basically tell him to go fuck himself as Larry David. (laughs) That has to be an intimidating thing that these actors are dealing with and they always manage to pull it off. Yeah, there's uh, there's, uh, (laughs) two other like one-offs that really stand out. And one, the bare midriff might be just because we just talked about it. Yeah, and like it saves his life when he grabs yeah, yeah, it, yeah. Uh, and also the when he doesn't hold when he pretends to to hit the uh, door open button on the elevator. <laughs> that lady, <laughs> that's like one of my favorites. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, there's there's and it's like with Curb right out of the gate. Oh, I should have mentioned too his th- beef with Ted Danson that he always has. Love it. But there's uh, when uh, there's an episode where Larry's running around the neighborhood. Cause uh, some girl's boyfriend is after him <laughs> and he had just been jogging. So he's in like gym shorts and he shows up at Ted Danson's house and is like, you gotta let me in. You gotta let me in. And him and Ted Danson get into it. And uh, evidently, eventually Larry offends him and Ted Danson like shoves money at him. The money that he owes Larry, <laughs> he shoves it at him and goes, put buy yourself some fucking pants. <laughs> <laughs> just to have these two rich guys are like Ted Danson is the example that George Costanza uses of a rich guy at NBC. And Larry David's one of the richest guys ever in comedy. And they're arguing about like the $50 that Larry, owed him or whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, the other Ted Danson one that's good uh, is when he's supposed to be watching uh, his dog and he changes his mind because Susie sees a dog what appears to be he looking at fucking the dog. Or something. Yeah. <laughs> and he, he's like, yeah, I don't need you to watch the dog this weekend. 
Yeah, I mean, we got to do a curb episode also. Yeah. You know what I think uh, uh, some of the Patreon episodes will be is part twos of other episodes we've done. Yeah, where it's just basically us watching something and having fun with it. More or less. Yeah, like we'll yeah. do a reflection on curb. We talked about curb a lot here. Right. But we could do we could always do a curb episode and that'll be exclusive to Patreon. So another reason to sign up for you kids out there. And uh, we got one more clip, right? Yep. This, I think some would probably argue this is the best episode of Curb ever. Um, when Larry, uh, he hasn't worked in a while. He hasn't had a writing job in a long time. Cheryl's bugging him to uh, get out and work. He can't get off the couch. And he meets a guy who owns a car dealership. <laughs> and he mentions that he's always wanted to sell cars. He thinks he'd be really good about it. And uh, Richard Lewis finds out about it, and that's the scene. <laughs> Wood grain yeah. is not going to stop us from from. That's what I like to hear. This is a joke, right? Could you could you please excuse us for a minute? I'm I'm talking to somebody. This is a practical joke, right? A practical joke. I'm sorry. I'm I'm sorry. Could you please excuse us for a second? I'm talking to somebody here. Can I? I'll meet you outside. Excuse well, could you please who? wait outside? Excuse me. Just wait outside, okay? Go outside. Go outside, okay? Larry? I'm with a customer. Do you see I'm with somebody? You're with a customer? You, you, You're selling what, cars? Sir, sir. I'll come back another time. Forget him. You just cost me a customer. <laughs> you just cost me a customer. Of course. You, you cost me a customer. I had him. How can you have I a customer? Him. I had him there. I was about to take him into the manager's office. What are you doing? What are you fucking what are you really doing here? You're coming what in here? What are you doing I'm here? doing business in here. I just came from Jeff's office. He tells me you're down here selling cars, which I say, it's got to be a fucking joke. But what I'm really fucking down here is for, you tell him that I'm high maintenance, he's my manager now. What if he goes to a studio, to the palm of Spago, and tells studio people, like, yeah, I love Richard, but he's high maintenance. But what if he does? What if he does? I spent yeah. like seven years getting my life together, and now all of a sudden they can think I'm like a fucking, you know, sex oh, maniac. Or gonna, a yeah, you, you won't get yeah. the remake from here to eternity. Yeah, I know. Come Meanwhile, on. I thought I had huh? dark secrets. What the hell? That's a, this this is, it's not a dark secret. Larry David selling huh? cars is not a dark secret. What is that? Is that is that a cashmere sweater? This guy, the same one. Of course, it's a cashmere sweater. Why are you? Is that hundred percent cashmere? What are you doing here, Larry? Is that hundred percent cashmere? Well, you don't believe me? Would you mind if I check the label? I just want to. My, my word's not good enough for you. Yeah, let me just let me take a look. No. Come on, let me just take a look. I don't like people touching I, me. I, I, I won't touch you. I'll just. No, I'll just I, take a I, I want you to call. I'll take a quick. I, I want you to call Jeff. You call Jeff and tell him I'm not hiding. What the hell is going on here? That's it, Larry. You're fired. Happy? <laughs> 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 I figured we'd uh, end where we started with the of Richard and Larry fighting each other, but just the fact that they would write and act and be able to—I'm sure it took a couple takes—but be able to keep a straight face. They're two sixty-year-old men or whatever the fuck they are at the time uh, fighting each other over a cashmere sweater. <laughs> he is worth near a billion dollars at this point. <laughs> yes, yeah, back then he was. <laughs> um. Another another great Richard Lewis Larry David exchange. This one I can't remember what episode it's from. Um, respond on Twitter. Let me know. But I, I Richard's you know kind of playing the "What was me?" card, and he goes, "Well, you know, I mean, like uh, I'm a drunk. I, I got sober. And my parents are dead." And Larry goes, "Oh." He was a drunk and his parents are dead. <laughs> showing, him, showing him zero sympathy. <laughs> oh, his parents are dead. So great. Oh, which also reminds me of uh, another. I always say it's my favorite line in Curb, but then I think of another one. Right. Um, 
when uh, Marty Funkhauser calls himself an orphan. <laughs> <laughs> that in Little uh, orphan Funkhauser. <laughs> one of the hardest I laughed to is the first um, when the, that girl with the big vagina and the phone starts ringing. Well, that that was one of the great act outs in comedy history. Yeah, <laughs> when he puts his head in. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, as you can tell, folks, Curb's a great show if you haven't seen it. I don't, uh, I don't know if I don't know if that's an understatement or not. But all right, here's the final question. Yes, which show are you picking? You can only take one. Yeah, Curb or Seinfeld. There's a lot more Seinfeld. Yeah, but but I would also argue there's a lot more bad Seinfeld. For sure. Like season one and two are not there's there's some there's some gold in season two, mm-hmm. but season one for sure is not great, and it doesn't really hit its stride until season three. Uh, but there are a lot more episodes just because it was twenty four episode seasons versus you know ten or twelve or whatever it was. Um, but ah, that's tough. I think I, I'm I'm taking. I think Curve of- makes me laugh harder. Honestly, just for, watching these clips for sure. But I also yeah. don't know if it's because I've seen the Seinfeld one so much that I'm like, like, all right. I quote Seinfeld in my daily life. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, there's times where I don't even realize I'm doing it, where I'm throwing out a Seinfeld line. Whereas Curb, that's not as, as much the case. So maybe, yeah, you're right. Maybe that's why I laugh harder. But I do. Oh, Larry David just has the best fuck in the business as well. His delivery of the word fuck. Oh yeah. No matter the situation will get me. When he's telling uh Susie's kid to shut the fuck shut up. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's maybe one of, that that might have been the hardest I laughed at that show. Yes. Yeah. I know we've said that for everything, but yeah. <laughs> yeah probably. Like that might have yeah, been. Yeah, so guys, if you couldn't tell, Larry David, pretty funny guy. <laughs> he's got a good future. <laughs> um, I think he is I mean, certainly on my Mount Rushmore, but I think he's my Number one, yeah. Like when people say, you know, I don't even know if he'd be like a good. Obviously, he'll never do my show, but in a fantasy world, mm-hmm. like people say, like who's who would be your number one get as a guest? I don't even know that I would have a lot to ask him. I would just want to talk to him. <laughs> just have Larry David on to tell him how great he is, which he would hate, obviously. Larry, can you tell me things? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Well, Larry David. You're the greatest. We love you here. Um, feel free to come on anytime if you're watching, and we know that you are. Uh, and next time on Why You Laughing, I don't know. Who knows? But if you want those bonus apps that we're talking about, I do know what the next bonus episode will be. Uh, and I believe our pal Carl will be on it. He requested to come on for this episode. Ooh. It's, uh, are you familiar with a meeting known as the Pelican Brief? It is when Howard Stern addressed his staff and told him basically to start making fake Twitter accounts. Oh, yeah. There's, a, and all that. there's audio of it. Like, well, there sure is. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be breaking down the whole thing with Carl at some point this month. Oh, good. <laughs> yeah. So that'll, that'll be the next bonus episode, I believe. Uh, if you want episodes like that that are a little more obscure, then um, check out the Patreon or you can support the show for free on Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you get podcasts. Uh, we appreciate no matter what you're able to do. If you're not able to help us uh, with a little green, then go the free route. Either way, we appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, go to blindnetmike.net to support the show. Also go to verygoodshow.org 
That's where you can find Craig's stuff. Yeah. Come say hi. Like very good show, for example. Um, and that's it. We'll talk to you guys next time on why are you laughing?